The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. Well, good morning again. If you have your Bible with you, I hope you do. I invite you to open up to um, Zephaniah in your Old Testament, Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3 is one of our minor prophets. Again, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Minor not in the sense that what he says is of minor importance, but minor because the length of the work is shorter than uh, what we'd refer to as the major prophets of Isaiah or Jeremiah um, and the likes. So Zephaniah is one of our minor prophets. I've entitled today's message, Go and Tell. Go and Tell. I still remember a conference that I attended a long time ago. This was somewhere back in the mid to late 90s. I was already married. My home church in Sumter, South Carolina was hosting a missions conference. Um, I don't remember the exact name of that conference uh, that weekend. I believe it was called something like a, a Global Impact Weekend or something to that effect. Um, by this time in my life, I'd already participated in a few mission trips. Uh, none of those trips had been outside of the United States. Uh, but I wouldn't have considered myself philo- philosophically opposed to international missions. I was certainly um, interested in that. As a matter of fact, several years earlier, before I was married, while I was pursuing my master's from the University of South Carolina, I was actively involved in a group called uh, Baptist Student Union, or BSU. Um, now it's called Believe- Baptist Collegiate Ministries, I believe is what it's called now. But at any rate, long before I met my wife, I applied through the BSU to go on an international trip to Russia. Soviet communism had just only recently collapsed, and I was eager to see the gospel being brought to the people of Russia. Um, unfortunately, there, was, there were a limited number of slots for that trip, and I didn't make the cut. My, my point in sharing that story is simply this, that the weekend conference that I was referring to at my home church, before that weekend conference began, I would have already considered myself a missions-minded individual. So I, I wasn't attending that conference in order to be convinced that missions were important. I was already there. I, I, was, I was all in, so to speak, for that. But something happened to me at that conference that to this day I still haven't gotten over. That weekend opened my eyes to the great need for the gospel that exists all over the world. That weekend conference opened my eyes to the nations in a fresh, a new, and an exciting way. You see, that conference in seed form, at least, helped me see that every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet is somebody created in the image of God. And because they're created in the image of God, they have dignity and they have worth and they deserve an opportunity to hear the good news. And so since that weekend, I've made it one of my life goals either to bring the gospel myself or to facilitate the gospel being brought to the nation's. Uh, Most of you know that my wife and I spent two years on the international mission field ourselves, and I can't count the number of times I've been on short-term trips internationally. Today, when I'm finished preaching, I'm going to encourage everyone here 
uh, particularly those who are members of this church. If you're a guest, by the way, um, you're welcome to participate in our March to the Manger that we're going to have. I'm going to explain that in just a moment. You're welcome to participate. Don't feel like you have to participate, but you're welcome. Um, all the money that we're going to raise today, not a penny of that money will stay here in this church. Um, it's all going either to what's called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, which supports international missions, or to the Water Project, which supports uh, water being brought to people in the name of Christ in Western Africa. And so none of it stays here. But I'm going to encourage us to get out of our comfortable chairs and to make a march forward to this manger and place in this manger right here in front of the pulpit a sacrificial financial gift that will help bring the gospel to the nations. And so if you're watching online today, obviously you can't participate in our march, but if you would like to participate in this offering, you can uh, simply write a check to the church, uh, mail it to P.O. Box 572 here in Indian Head, and put March to the Manger on the four line, and it will count toward this offering. Um, some of you might be here today, and you might, oh, this, ah, I forgot that that was today, or this is the first I heard about it today, so you're not ready to give, don't worry. Uh, today is not the only day that you can give to this offering. Um, today's the only day we're going to have the Manger, it's the only day we're going to have the March, but you can give any time through the end of January to this offering. Last year, by the end of January, we took in an even $10,000. Uh, so yeah, praise God for that. Um, I'd like to exceed that this year by God's grace, uh, not so that we can pat ourselves on the back, but so that we can do more work, uh, so we can help participate in more work all around the world. I want to say one more thing about the March of the Manger before it even happens. Three weeks ago, John Burns was preaching and did a fine job preaching. He was preaching about praying and giving, and he used as an illustration our March to the Manger. And I'm not trying to quote him directly here, uh, but here's how I understood his illustration. I think I got the essence of it. But in essence, he was saying that if the reason we're wanting to get up at the end of the service and come forward to make an offering, if the reason we want to do that is so that we can be seen by other people, then it's best not to even march to the manger. I think, I think that's a fair understanding of, of how he was using that illustration. So after his sermon... Someone who knows me well, knows my heart about missions, know how, knows how I feel about this March of the Manger offering. This person asked me, what, what did I think about that illustration? And I told that individual that I wholeheartedly, 100% agree with John. You see, if, if we're going to do any good work so, merely so that we're seen by other people as doing a good work, then we've already, we already have our reward in full. So if, if the reason we want to participate in a good work is so that others will see us, then just stop, right? We shouldn't do the right thing so that other people can see us doing the right thing. We should do the right thing because it's the right thing, even if it's done in secret. Even if no one else ever sees you do it, God, who sees in secret, knows your heart. And so, yes, I still will ask us to stand up at the end of this message and march to the manger. But I want us to do it as a symbol of congregational unity, of togetherness. I want us to, in essence, as a congregation to say, yes, this is important. It's important not only that the gospel be brought here to the streets of Charles County, but it's important that the gospel be brought to the ends of the earth as well. But if you're marching, just to be seeing as marching, just stay in your, just stay in your chair, really. I don't... I, and I don't say that as a way of judgment against you for staying in your chair, nor, nor am I going to give you accolades for getting up from your chair, because frankly, I'm probably not going to see. I'm going to march to the manger, and I'm going to give my offering, and then I'm going to go sit down next to my wife, 
and I'm probably going to bow my head and close my eyes in prayer, praying that the Lord will use whatever, whether, whether it's $10,000 or $20,000 or whether it's $1,000, that He'll use whatever we raise for His glory that the gospel will be brought to the nations. Ultimately, what you give is between you and the Lord, okay? I just want you to know it's an important work. And as an important work, I want to be a small part of an important work. And so that's why we march to the manger. Now today we're continuing our Advent series, sermon series titled God With Us. And today we're going to see that because God is with us, we can go and tell the good news. If you've noticed, and hopefully you will notice throughout every, every text that, we're, that I'm preaching from this Advent season has, has a, a, a message that God is with us or He's in the midst of us. And so each week we're going to see that theme. And hence, hence the title for this uh, sermon series is God with us. But without any further ado, if you're in Zephaniah chapter 3, say Amen. amen. By the way, if you're looking and you're like, there's more than three chapters here, that means you're probably in Zechariah, not Zephaniah. So don't confuse those two. Zephaniah only has three chapters. I'm going to begin with verse 9. We're going to read through verse 17. So follow along, please, as I read. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. And all of them may call, or that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. And those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies. Nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for this opportunity we have now. Just these few moments that we have to turn our attention to Your Word. Lord, I pray that as I preach that Your Word, that Your, your Spirit would accompany Your Word proclaimed and that Your Spirit would bring conviction where conviction is near. Lord, I pray that what we are not, You would make us, and what we have not, Father, You would give us. What we know not, You would teach us. Lord, we love You. Pray, Father, that You do Your work now through Your Word in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. 
So our central idea for this morning's message is God's... uh, Actually, that's not the right... I put the wrong... Just skip over that, Joshua. That's the wrong one. Uh, So we will... It's it's easy enough to remember, though. It's God will rejoice... Or Excuse me, we will rejoice... It's really simple. It really is. Trust me. Um, it's, it's that simple. If I could read off my uh, piece of paper, it would be that simple. We will rejoice as God brings people to Himself. We will rejoice as God brings people to Himself. I have three points I want to make this morning. But before actually, uh, and those are correct, Joshua, in the, in the screen there when you get to the three points, okay? Uh, but before I get into those three points, I'm going to just give you a little background material for Zephaniah. So I've been in pastoral ministry now for over 20 years, well well more than a thousand sermons preached, even though I can't hardly read at times. Um, so I, I was a bit surprised this week. Sometimes I look back at how I've preached passages in the past, and I was, so I was a bit surprised when I looked through my old files. I've, I've never preached, not, not the first message, and over a thousand messages never preached from Zephaniah. Um, so I spent much of the week studying Zephaniah, reading it over and over again. It's a short book. It's only the three chapters. You can read it in five or six minutes. But here's something that caught my eye as I was reading it. From chapter 1, verse 7, through chapter 2, verse 3, so less than a chapter, Zephaniah refers to a day, to this specific day. He refers to it some 16 times in less than a chapter. Sometimes he calls it the day of the Lord. Other times he says, on that day. Sometimes he says it's the great day of the Lord. But however he's referring to it, it's over 16 times and again, less than a chapter. And without exception in those early references in chapters 1 and 2, without exception, that day that he's talking about is not a day that we should look forward to coming. It's not a day we're saying, oh, I just can't wait for that to happen. Because on that day, we're told that the Lord will sacrifice. We're told that the Lord will punish. It's a day of wrath. It's a day of, quote, distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of um, darkness and gloom. And a day of clouds and thick darkness. It's a day of the anger of the Lord. And so just to put the matter bluntly for us, the first 75% or more of Zephaniah's prophecy is gloom and doom. It's not something that you just read and you go, oh, I'm just super happy reading this. There is a strong overtone of judgment. And to be clear, beloved, it's a judgment that the people of God richly deserved. But in the final verses of Zephaniah, the ones that we're going to be looking at this morning, judgment gives way to hope. And so hope has the last word. So let's jump in to verse 9. And point number one is a day for the nations or a day for the people. Verse 9 begins, it says, for at that time. Now, this is why I gave you a little background, if you will, um, about the, the book of Zephaniah. Because if we were just picking up here, uh, not knowing what has gone, gone before, and we were just picking up here, we'd wonder, what is that, what is that time? What is, what is Zephaniah talking about? But knowing the context of the book, we know that that time that he's talking about here, it's a very clear reference to this day of the Lord that's going to happen. But now instead of judgment, we have hope. God tells us that at that time, He, notice that, He will change the speech of the peoples to pure speech. I want you to notice here that God is actively involved working in the lives of the people of this world. 
But as I was reading, as I was thinking about that, it raised a couple of questions in my mind. First of all, who are these people? Who who is he talking about? If the peoples, if if God is working in the lives of the peoples and he's going to give them pure speech, who are these peoples? Well, simply put, those peoples are everybody who is not already a Jew. They're the non-Jews. And so we see right here in Zephaniah chapter 3, we see God's promise to Abraham that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, that that promise that Abraham is going to be a blessing to all the nations, that promise is already being fulfilled here in Zephaniah chapter 3. But a second question that came to my mind is that, you know, what, what, is, what does he mean that he's going to give them pure speech? You know, what's wrong with their speech to start with, in other words? If, 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 he, if they need to be given pure speech, well, it means that their speech up to this point had been profane. And I say not in the sense that they were dropping you know, the, the F-bomb in every sentence that they were saying. That, that's, not what they were, that's not what I mean by profane. But their, their speech was profane in the sense that they were separated from God. They, they had no desire to honor God with their lips. There weren't any words of praise coming from their mouth toward God. Because they didn't have a relationship with God. And so their speech was profane. It wasn't pure. But God Himself, God is going to change all that. He's going to give them pure speech. He's going to give them, the text tells us, an opportunity to call upon Himself. That's what we see right there in, this, in that same phrase. Look again with me in verse 9. I want you to see I'm not making any of this up. Right there in the latter half of verse 9, it says that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. These people who had once been separated from God are now being given the opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord. They're given the chance to serve the Lord with one accord. Beloved, the good news of God's grace is in fact available to everyone. They just need an opportunity to hear about it. They need somebody to go and tell them this good news. Now for you and I, you might think, well, doesn't everybody know about this? We've grown up in a country where we can turn on the radio or turn on television or just pass by a hundred different churches over the course of a week and we think, well, doesn't everybody have this opportunity? And the answer to that is no, they don't have that opportunity. There are, people, there are people today who will be born in this world that if we don't go and tell them the good news, if we don't send people to tell them the good news, they will live and they will die and they will never, ever even meet a Christian. But the good news is available, so we just need to go and tell. We need to... And if we're not going to go and tell, we need to help people. We need to pray about that. More about that to come. Now, of course, this isn't to say, what you notice again from the text, this isn't to say that all the peoples will call upon the name of the Lord. We, we have no promise in the Bible that everybody will ultimately trust in God. It's not what our text says. Our text says that the peoples may call upon the Lord. And so... Here, friends, understand this theologically. God says, He has His Gospel, He has His good news, and He says, here, here it is. I'm going to lay it out on the table for you. Here's a meal for you to eat. You want to eat it? It's good food. But I'm not going to make you eat it. I'm going to give you an opportunity to eat. And that's what God does with the Gospel. He's given us an opportunity with the Gospel to eat. 
But I want you to see this as well, that we're that this that these peoples that they're they're not just like one small group of peoples. They're not just maybe Israel's close uh, neighbors. This invitation extends, according to verse ten, beyond the rivers of Cush. That would be modern-day Ethiopia. And for those of you who maybe be a little bit uh, geographically challenged, that's an entirely different continent, okay, from where Israel is. So we're talking about a gospel that goes to the ends of the earth. God's good news is for everyone, and God's good news is for everywhere. So let me ask us this question. What are we doing? Collectively and individually, what are we doing to make sure that the nations will hear this good news? Are we willing to go? Or on, or on a more practical level, like a personally, just let me ask you this question. Is your passport current? Or do you have a passport? And you might say, what, what, what's the what, Who cares if I have a passport? Well, in, in one sense, maybe you might say if you don't even have a passport, you're saying, you know, God, I'm not ever going over there. I'm not, I'm not even going to bother getting a passport to go and tell the nations. Is your passport current? Are you willing, like if God said to you today, I want you to go, is your first step going to have to be to get a passport? You're going to say, here I am, I'm ready. I've got it already, and I'm ready to go. Because you're going to need a passport if you're going to go to the nations. Here's some other questions to consider, by the way. Are, are we so maybe maybe the Lord doesn't ever call you and to to be clear I don't I don't believe the Lord will call everybody to go to the nations because if everybody went to the nation then who's going to be a witness here all right but are we praying if the Lord isn't calling you are you praying for gospel workers in those hard to reach places do you know any gospel workers in those places do we do we know the men and women who have left friends and family behind so that they might go and tell. And if we know them, are we praying for them? And are we willing to give sacrificially so that these men and women can go? I I want you to know, by the way, when I talk about giving, that giving to the cause of missions is one of the most dangerous spiritual things you can do. And here's what I mean. I mean, I mean that not in a good way dangerous. I mean in a bad way dangerous. Because sometimes what we'll do is we'll write a check for $100 or $500 or $1,000 or whatever you write your check for. And we, we write the check and we think our obligation has been fulfilled. Yeah, we, we write the check, we appease our conscience, we say, yep, I'm doing something for missions. And then we have little concern at all. So that, that you know, our, our concern ends when we finish signing our name. And we don't really pray and care about the workers who are out there in the darkness or the people who are living in darkness. And so don't just write a check and think, oh, it's all done. I've, I've done everything I need to do. So yes, I hope you will give. And I hope you'll give sac- sacrificially. But our work isn't done when we're finished shining our name. We should be regularly interrogating ourselves. Lord, are you calling me to do this? So I, I've made no secret to you. This is... Uh, my, uh, you know, my wife and I, we have served, and we prayerfully consider about whether that's something still in our future. So, I love serving here, and I, right now, frankly, I can't imagine serving anywhere else. But if the Lord would have me serve again on the international field, my passport's current, and I'm ready to go. Are, are you are you ready to do that? Are you willing to go? Have you have you given to use that check analogy? Have you given God a blank check?
of your life saying, here, God, you know, I signed it. It's blank. You tell me what to do. That's point number one. Point number two is we're going to see a day for Israel. A day for Israel. This is verses 11 through 13. Verse 11, it begins, it begins with that familiar, on that day. Again, this is the reference to the day of the Lord. And Zephaniah is changing his audience, though, here in verse 11, because his focus previously has been on the peoples. Now his focus is on the people of God, or of Israel herself. And so of Israel, God says, they shall not be put to shame because of the deeds with which they have rebelled against God. Now again, I want you to keep in mind that the first two and a half chapters of this three-chapter prophecy are filled with God's judgment on God's people because they had acted wickedly. But now we see mercy, we see hope triumphing over judgment. God uses the judgment in the first three quarters of this book to purify His people. And in verse 11, we see, if you will, the, the results of that purification. In verse 11, God is going to remove from His people, those who are proudly exultant so that God's people won't be haughty anymore. They won't be proud on God's holy mountain. But in verse 12, this is the result of God's purifying work. God will leave among the people those who are humble and lowly. And God will leave those who seek refuge in the name of His Lord. Also verse 12. In verse 13, God will leave those who do no injustice and speak no lies, and do not have a deceitful tongue. Beloved, what we see happening here again is the purification of God's people. When when God's people are pure, their witness in this world is more vibrant. And the same thing is true today. This is why the Word of God gives us a means by which in the church of God, a means by which we can remove unrepentant sinners from church membership. I mean, think about that with me. Let, me. let me choose an obvious example. Suppose we had a church member, a man who is a husband and a father, and this, this man decides to leave his wife and children so that he can start a new life with a younger, more attractive model. Meanwhile, as his sin becomes public, members of the church, they go to this gentleman and they urge him, they plead with him, brother, you need to repent what you're doing. You need to go back to the wife of your youth, which is what the Scripture calls us to. They plead with him to do the right thing, but... Sadly, the man persists in his sin and he divorces his wife and marries the younger woman. So what should a church do in that situation? Well, let me tell you what a church should do in that situation. The church should remove that man from membership because his lifestyle is saying something that brings shame and disrepute to the gospel. His lifestyle is saying that it's okay to trade in your spouse on a younger model. But, beloved, that's not true. He's living in open, unrepentant sin. His sin is a scourge on the witness of the church. So the loving thing to do, you might think, well, that's not very loving. No, it actually is the loving thing to do to remove somebody like that from membership. It's an act of judgment of saying that how we live matters. It affects our witness in this world. Those people who live their lives proudly as if they, I can do whatever I want and nobody can tell me what to do. Those are the ones who are being removed from Israel in Zephaniah 3. But those who seek refuge in the world. Those who recognize their sin. Because listen, beloved, we're all sinners. Everyone, so when you think, well, why would we remove this man for a sin when we're all sinners? All Christians are sinners. 
That's true. But Christians should be a special type of sinner. Christians should be repenting sinners. So there's nobody in this room who can go back this week and look at just do an honest assessment of your life over this past seven days and say, yep, sin free. If you can, well, man, I need to walk next to you some so I can maybe some of that will rub off of me. I can't do that. I can't look at my life just over seven days and say, no sin. I'm a sinner through and through. But by God's grace, I'm a repenting sinner. And I pray that's what you are as well. When somebody lives in open, unrepentant sin, the sin then becomes a scourge on the church. And so the loving thing to do is to remove that person. But those who seek refuge in the church, those who recognize their sin and they turn from it, they, the Bible says right here in Zephaniah, they will not be put to shame. They will find a home with the Lord. They will find a home among God's people. So if you have sin in your life, beloved, what should you do? Repent of it. Bring it to God. Recognize your sin for what it is and repent of it. Live a pure life before God. This is one of the reasons, beloved, we have a church covenant. Our church covenant says how we live matters. It tells us, for example, to walk together in Christ-like love with one another. It tells us not to forsake our assembling together. It tells us to rejoice over one another's happiness and to bear one another's burdens. It tells us to live carefully in the world and to deny ungodly. So I, I don't know about you, I keep, a, I keep a copy. So I made a copy and I laminated it. It's right here in the back of my Bible. I keep the church. So it's, it's, not, the, it's not the Bible, but it faithfully says what the Bible says. And so I, I keep it there as just a reminder for me. This is the promise that I'm making with my brothers and sisters in Christ of how I need to live in this world. How we live matters. It mattered then for the people of God. That's what we see happening in verses 11 through 13. And it matters now for the people of God known as Potomac Heights Baptist Church. It matters. And so are we living our lives in such a way that we commend the gospel? And do our lives say something that's good and beautiful and true about the gospel? Or do our lives lie about the gospel? Bring shame and dishonor to the gospel. If it does the latter... We're removed from God's presence. If it does the former, God welcomes us into His presence. Point number two. Point number three is we end with a day of rejoicing. Verse 14 is an awesome verse. This is verses 14 through 17. Same thing is being said three times here in verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. I thought about that this week. I said, man, that would be a great way to wake up in the morning, wouldn't it? You know, maybe, maybe that's a verse that we need to put on a little index card and like, paste it on our bathroom uh, vanity mirror or something so we can see that verse every morning. What a great way. But, but why? I mean, why do we sing aloud? Why, why do we shout? Why do we rejoice and exult? What, what's the purpose there? Well, there, there's only one reason to do that according to Zephaniah. And he gets to that in the next verse, in verse 15. Look, look there with me. It says, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never fear, or you shall never again fear evil. Man, let that sink in. The Lord has taken away His judgments against you. 
How would you respond? If you, if, if God Himself said, I've taken away my judgment. Everything, your slate is clean with me. I've taken away all my judgment. Well, let's get to the, I hope that you would sing aloud. I hope you would shout. I hope that you would rejoice and exult knowing that this is the God we serve. That God sent His Son in this world not to condemn the world, but to give us life. To give us abundant life in this world. That's what God has done. He's taken away our judgments. He has cleared away our enemies. We don't need to fear evil ever again because Jesus has come into this world. Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins. He has done what we couldn't do for ourselves. He has lived the righteous life that we were incapable of living. And He did so that we might have life. You see that? Right there in the middle of the verse. It says, the King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. Jesus, Emmanuel, is with us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. To know that the King is in our midst. And on that day, according to verse 16, on that day it shall be said of God's people, fear not. Fear not. You know, a recurring dream that used to happen to me. Well, not a dream really, but it was a thought. Like it would be a daydream. It would almost be a nightmare for me, to be honest, if I'd be honest with you. Um, when I was working through my doctoral work, um, I was regularly thought of my life. Like one, I kept thinking, how did I get into this program? Because all the people around me, they were so smart. And I was like, I'm just... Like I'm treading, like I'm treading as fast as I could just to just to keep my head above the water. I'm like, how did I even get in this program? And I kept fearing one day, like one day I'm gonna I'm gonna make it through two semesters, three semesters, whatever I make, and then they're gonna say, oh Brian, there was there was an admissions error. Um, it was your application. You were actually supposed to be rejected, and this other person was supposed to. So we're we're gonna kick you out of the program. I kept waiting for that to happen, waiting for that to happen, and and, and it never happened. And even they they gra- I graduated, and they gave me a diploma. I was like. You know, like I was like, whew, you know, I got, got, felt like I got away with it. It was a fear I had that I would be found out to be an imposter. That I didn't belong. Well, listen, if you're one of God's children, you don't need to ever fear being an imposter. That you don't belong. Because God has bought you with a price. You belong. And you need not fear ever. Verse 17, uh, some scholars, I I didn't know this until my studies this week, some scholars have referred to uh, verse 17 as the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Now, we all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, etc., etc. Listen to verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Notice how it starts there. Again, we're told here that the Lord Himself is in our midst. That the Lord is Emmanuel. He's near us. He's with us. God sent His only Son into the world. Why? So that He could be in our midst. 
And we're told that this mighty one, here in verse 17, we're told that this mighty one will save, right? Well, what does John 3.16 tell us? That the reason God sent His Son into the world is to save us, right? That's, that's the ultimate reason that He came, is to save us. In verse 17, notice, notice who the actor is, the one who's doing, who's, who's completing all this work. This is, it's all the Lord's doing. God is doing this. God is taking, notice this in, in verse 17, He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt you over you with loud singing. John 3.16, what's that? For, for God so loved the world that He sent His Son. He was the actor. He was the one that looked down and says, I love My people. I'm going to send My Son to rescue them. And then He says, and I, I just... I can't get over it. This is a mental image that I'm still struggling. Even after this week and, and thinking about this text, I'm still struggling to get, to get this mental picture in my mind. But the end of verse 17, He will exalt over you with loud singing. You know, we sing every week when we get together. We sing four or five songs each week. And, and, and I am so encouraged when I hear you guys sing. It just it fills my heart with joy to know that you know, as a people, we're, we're, we're collectively singing. Um, But that's not what's happening in, in verse 17. It's not us singing to God. It's God singing over us. What a, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture that, you know, sometimes we're going to go, ah, God, He's so far off. And I, you know, I just, He doesn't, you know, I'm just, who am I? I'm one of seven, however many billion people on this earth. And so, you know, who am I to God? Here's here's who you are to God. He, God, will exult over you. And He will sing over you. That's how much you you matter to God. Imagine that. God singing over. I've never been able to sing very good. I like to sing loud, but I don't sing good. But one day, I can only imagine the booming voice that God will have when He sings over me, when He sings over you. There's several billion people on this planet who live in places where they don't know that God wants to sing over them. The message has to get there. Lord has blessed us, not only individually, but as a country, He's blessed us with financial means. He's blessed us also with a number of people. Some of you, I'm convinced that some of you in this room today probably need to go. You need to go to the nations. And maybe I'm speaking to myself right now, but we need to go and bring the gospel message to the nations. But what we're going to do right now is I pray that I pray you're you're as convinced as I am that it's important that the gospel be brought to the nations. 
And so we're, there are going to be two videos. That Josh, Josh is going to start one of those videos here in a minute. And we're just going to show there are about two and a half minutes each, so about five minutes total. Uh, so um, those videos will play. So for those of you on live stream, you'll just see, be seeing the videos. You won't be seeing who's coming up here. Um, but as those videos play, as you as you are as you're led, again, we're not taking names to see who's coming up here and putting in. We're not doing that. It's between you and the Lord. But as you feel led, you come and you come individually, come as a family, however you wish to come, you come and you put your gift in the offering. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us enough to exalt over us, to care for us, to rejoice over us through your Son, Jesus. Thank You for that wonderful, wonderful gift. Lord, thank You for being actively involved in the world. To being actively drawing men and women to Yourself. Help us now to be obedient. Whether it's in our giving, whether it's in our praying, or whether it's in our going. Help us to be obedient to bring that message, that glorious good news message to others who need to hear. Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.